Well, hi, I'm Miss Tyler, and welcome to this week's episode of Context for Kids, where I teach you guys stuff most adults don't even know. If this is your first time hearing this program, or if you've missed anything, you can find all the episodes archived at contextforkids.podbean.com, which has them downloadable, or at contextforkids.com, where I have transcripts for readers, or on my Context for Kids YouTube channel, where I now post slightly longer video versions. Parents, all scripture this week comes from the MTV, which is the Miss Tyler version, and that's the Christian Standard Bible, tweaked a bit to make it easier for kids and adults to understand the content and the context without reading an entire chapter every week. Last week, God told Abram to get a whole bunch of farm critters. So Abram obeyed, and then he chopped them all in half. But he killed them first. I mean, that would be horrifying and cruel if Abram just went and sliced them down the middle. And then he stood guard over the pieces of cow, sheep, and goat so that the birds wouldn't pick them apart. He waited and he waited, but for what? Well, we'll get to that next week because all of a sudden, while he was shooing away the birds, something happened that Abram didn't expect at all that points all the way back to the garden and another 400 years into the future. Let's read Genesis 15 verses 12 through 16 to find out what happened. As the sun was setting, a deep sleep came over Abram, and suddenly great terror and darkness descended on him. Then the Lord said to Abram, you can know this for sure. Your descendants will be people without a country of their own for 400 years, living in a land that does not belong to them. They'll be forced to work as slaves and treated very badly. But I will judge the country that does this to them, and afterward they will leave with a lot of stuff. But you will go to your ancestors in peace. That means he'll die. And you'll be buried at a good old age, which means that he won't die young, but it's already kind of too late for that, right? After four generations are born there in that country, they will return here because the sins of the Amorites are not quite bad enough yet. Wow. So Abram, if you remember, has seen, well, he's been having a vision since verse one of this chapter. In this vision, which began in his tent, the word of the Lord came to Abram and started making him some amazingly wonderful promises about getting the land of Canaan and having a baby. Well, I mean, he wasn't going to have a baby because, dang, that would really be a miracle. And God hasn't ever done anything like that yet. And I'm not holding my breath either. Remember that a vision is like a dream a person has when they're wide awake. Not like daydreaming because when you snap out of a daydream, the first thing you notice is your teacher giving you the stink eye because you haven't been paying attention in class. Abram asked for what seemed like proof that God was telling the truth. But what he was really asking for was a permanent relationship with God for the rest of his life. And so God told Abram to get the critters. And we already covered that last week. You know, the rest of what happened. One thing we can see from this week's verses is that in Abram's vision, 
He was guarding the critters from the middle of the night until the sun was setting the next day. And that's a long time for a guy who was probably in his 80s to be chasing birds away, even if it is just in a vision. And Abram fell into a deep sleep. But this wasn't any kind of normal sleep. Do you remember when we were talking about the time when Adam fell into a deep sleep in the garden and God took half of him and made a woman? Well, both of those stories use the exact same words. Whatever happened to Abram was the same thing that happened to Adam. And whatever it is, this is not normal sleeping because what happens next is very scary. The Bible tells us that a great terror and darkness descended on Abram. So I want you to think about a terrible, scary feeling swooping down on Abram like a bird and everything going so dark that he couldn't see anything at all. I don't know about you, but if this ever happened to me, I would be paying attention to whatever God had to say and taking it more seriously than I have ever taken anything in my life. One thing for sure is that when Abram looked back, he would always know that this wasn't just his imagination. Maybe that's why God did it that way, because something like this might just seem too strange to believe as the years went by. And it was important for Abram to remember every single word. Let's look at what God says to Abram. Oh, and did you notice last week and this week, it's God talking to Abram and not the word of the Lord? Are they the same or different? Sometimes it's hard to know. God says you can know this for sure. And you can't see it in English, but just like when God told Adam that if he ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that he would die, this is said in the same sort of way. God told Adam, on the day you will eat of it, you will die, die. No, not just die, you're going to die, die. When God says a word two times in a row, that's serious. And when God told Abram that he would know this for sure, he actually said, you can no, no, this. This is absolutely what's going to happen no matter what. So Abram's very scared and it's very dark and God is telling him something that is a totally a for sure and decided thing. And I think maybe this is so that Abram won't try to avoid it somehow or beg God not to do it. God wants Abram to know that this is a done deal. Even though sometimes Abram is allowed to try and talk God out of other things, but not this time. God told Abram that his descendants, the people who would all come from him, won't inherit the land of Canaan for at least another 400 years. And considering the fact that God had just promised to give him the land and a kid and grandkids, Abram probably thought it would be happening a lot sooner and this would be very disappointing, right? But because of the fear and the terrible darkness, Abram can't even say anything. But wait, it gets worse. Not only won't they have the land of Canaan, but they would be living in a place where the people would take them to be their slaves. And not just slaves, which is bad enough, but slaves who are treated very badly so badly that God will punish them for how badly they treat Abram's descendants. When they were finally freed, they'd be rich. 
But if someone told me that my kids would be slaves in a land that wasn't their home for all that time, I wouldn't be saying, oh well, they'll come out with a ton of cash, so it's all better now. No, I think I would be very upset and worried. Sometimes I think about the moms and dads left behind in Africa after their children were kidnapped and captured by slavers and how sad and horrible it must have been for them for the rest of their lives, wondering about their kids and their grandkids living as slaves and how they were being treated. I think that if Abram could have talked to God, he definitely would have. And the reason that God gives Abram for the wait is that the Amorites, who were the most famous of all the Canaanite clans, weren't so bad yet that they deserved to be forced out of God's land. Remember that God is patient and fair, but humans aren't. God is patient even when we don't want him to be patient. But I guess the really confusing question is, why did God even tell this to Abram? Would you want to know something like that? I wouldn't. I would rather die thinking that everything was going to be just awesome. And does this mean that God made it happen? Or that he could look into the future and see that it was going to happen? It's very hard to understand, but because God doesn't treat us like robots, he allows us to all do bad things to each other. He lets you be mean, and he lets me be mean too. Being mean is the easy choice, and being good is a much harder choice. But it has to be our choice or else it doesn't even matter. Imagine a world where everyone hugged you because they had to and not because they loved you. Hugs wouldn't be special anymore, right? Not only that, but I don't want hugs from everyone. I just don't. I want hugs from the people I love and who I know love me. If someone gives me a present, I want it to be because they want to and not because they think they have to. It's hard to understand the kind of love that allows us to make our own decisions, but right here, God is telling Abram that the Egyptians, well, he doesn't tell them that it's the Egyptians. They're going to do evil to his family sometime in the future and that the people Abram is living with now are gonna get a lot worse. Now you might think that if he knew his own family would get taken as slaves that maybe Abram would get the hint about maybe thinking about his own use of slaves. Anyone could become a slave in the ancient world. One day you could be rich and powerful and the next day a mighty empire could roll into your city and boom, you aren't free anymore. Abram and Sarai were given a bunch of Egyptian slaves by Pharaoh when he took Sarai as a wife. So right now, it's the Egyptians who are slaves to Abram's family. How do Abram and Sarai treat their Egyptian slaves? Actually, we're going to find out in Genesis 16, the very next chapter, and it isn't a good chapter for either of them. We'll specifically learn about a young woman named Hagar. And we will see throughout the Bible that what people do has a tendency to come back to bless them or to bite them in the butt depending on what it is. Liars get lied to and tricksters get tricked. And how Abram and Sarai treat Hagar over the course of the next few chapters is going to end up coming back to bite their great-grandchildren. 
Life is like that sometimes, even if it isn't obvious right away. Abram, though, is told that he will die of old age before any of that ever happens. What's more, he will be buried, so he doesn't have to worry about that anymore either. I've told you many times that ancient people were terrified of not being handled properly once they died. You know, between the idea of having their bodies walked all over forever, or having animals eat them and then poop them out, they were like super stressed out about it. But God reassures Abram that his kids won't be slaves forever and will come back to the land, and this time it actually will be theirs. 400 years though, I'm pretty darn sure that wasn't what Abram originally had in mind, or maybe it was. I want you to think about this very carefully. The land of Canaan was very big, or at least for a small wandering household like Abram had. There were a lot of people already living there, and wild animals too. Do you remember why ancient kings were called mighty hunters? It was because there were dangerous animals who would attack travelers on the roads. There were lions and tigers and bears! Oh my! Okay, no tigers in Canaan. But kings were responsible for sending out soldiers to keep the wild animals in check and away from the roads as much as possible. So when Nimrod was called a mighty hunter, that would have been calling him the kind of king who kept the roads safe, not only from dangerous animals, but also from robbers. Later in the book of Joshua, when they were finally going into the land to take it, God told them he wouldn't give it all to them all at once because they wouldn't be able to handle that much land, considering how few of them there were. And God said that the wild animals and the land would be too much for them to deal with yet. And by then there were thousands of them, plus all the other people with them who had escaped from Egypt. These people had been in the wilderness for 40 years, and no one who was still alive knew how to be farmers or to do much of anything except take care of their critters because most of them had been born in the wilderness. The ones who hadn't been were all under the age of 20 when they were freed from slavery. God knew that these people needed to start slow and grow or it would be a complete disaster. God is really smart. With God's promises, they are often hurry up and wait sorts of promises. God makes a promise and we get all excited, but we really don't take much time to think about how important it is that he prepares us for that promise. I want to tell you the story of Jesus' disciples and the fruit trees. And no, this isn't a story that you read in the Bible. Not exactly, anyway. It starts out in the book of Leviticus, where God gives the Israelites a very puzzling instruction about how to treat the fruit trees they will be planting when they come into the land. When you come into the land and plant any kind of fruit or nut tree, you are not allowed to eat what grows on it. It'll be totally off limits to you for the first three years. You can't eat anything that grows on it. In the fourth year, all the fruit that grows on it needs to be presented to the Lord. But in the fifth year, you can eat the fruit. If you do this, then I will make sure it gives you lots and lots of fruit. I am the Lord your God. Well, Mark and I planted a bunch of fruit trees last year. 
two cherries, two apples, a pear tree, two cherry bushes, and four blueberry bushes. I also planted a ton of strawberries. The strawberries can be eaten right away because they only last about three years before they have to be replaced anyway. But with the apple and pear trees especially, we pull off all the blossoms so they won't make any fruit until they're nice and big. It's important to make sure that the tree isn't trying to grow fruit before it's big enough to handle it. Just think of how heavy apples, pears, and peaches are and how small the branches on new trees are. The tree needs time to grow and get strong. With cherries, it's harder to pull all the little flowers off and so I'm just letting the tiny fruit grow. When we wait for a fruit plant to get nice and healthy and big before we grow fruit on it, the trees will produce a lot more fruit than they would have if we hadn't waited. God knows that and he's very wise. But you know what? People are the exact same way. We need time to grow before we can do grown-up stuff too. And even grown-ups need time before they can do what God has planned for them. Oh, I was in my 40s before God let me start teaching and boy am I ever relieved about that. But what does any of this have to do with the disciples of Jesus? Well, according to the Gospel of John, Jesus traveled with and taught his young disciples for three and a half years before he died. If you've ever read the Gospels, then you know that his disciples were always doing messed up stuff. Not because they were evil, unintelligent, or hopeless, but because they weren't mature enough yet to produce good fruit. They were just like my baby apple trees trying to make nice big apples and a lot of them. But they really just kept making a mess. And they learned more and traveled more with Jesus and that made them more mature. And they were even sent out in groups of two sometimes so that they could go on many mission trips to preach the good news of the kingdom, heal the sick, cast out demons, and perform miracles. But they always had to come back to Jesus later. They weren't ready to be on their own for very long. If Jesus had just taught them a little while and then sent them out right away, oh, it would have been a total disaster. And it wouldn't have been their fault. It would have been Jesus's fault. Because Jesus knows exactly what we need to do a good job and to help people and not hurt them, he takes his time to do the job right. I remember when I was first a Christian, just a baby Christian, even though I was almost 30 years old. I think that I'd only been a Christian for like six months before they gave me a Sunday school class to teach. I was teaching kids out of a booklet, so I guess maybe they thought it would be okay, but it wasn't okay. Most of the kids I was teaching just sat there with confused expressions on their faces because they probably knew more about the Bible than I did. But not this one woman. She was 40 years old and she had Down syndrome. I can't remember her name. But I do remember she was so upset with me that she smacked me over the head with her Bible. And you know what? I don't even blame her. Now, don't you ever do that to, you know, your teachers or anyone else. She knew I had no business teaching them at all. I shouldn't have agreed to it. But I didn't know any better because I was just a baby and it made me feel important to be asked. I didn't understand how important it was to be a mature Christian before I taught the Bible to anyone, 
but especially not to kids. Honestly, I wonder if God told her to hit me over the head with the Bible. I don't know. She didn't injure me, but it was sure a big wake-up call. The leadership of the church wasn't making sure that I was who I needed to be before they tried to make other people eat the pathetic fruit that was coming from my life. I was like a baby tree that they were forcing to grow great big apples and my branches were like a snap off and the fruit was not going to be yummy or good for anyone. Jesus' disciples were different than me though. They only needed three or four years because they'd been worshiping God all their lives and had been hearing the Bible, Genesis through the prophets, since they were babies. They knew a lot of stuff. I didn't know much of anything. So even though they were only learning from Jesus for three years, they were already very familiar with the Bible. But for what was coming next, they needed to be taught and prepared every day, all day. Imagine going to school for three and a half years where you traveled on foot everywhere and listened to Jesus preach to the crowds the same stories and lessons over and over again, and you watched how he healed people and fed them. You saw amazing miracles and went to all the festivals at the temple in Jerusalem. You spent every Sabbath learning from Jesus in the synagogues. With everything that he did and said, you learned about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Up close and personal. Jesus fed people who were hungry and too far away from a town to buy food. He healed things that doctors didn't even remotely understand. Jesus helped people who had been pushed out of their community so they could live normal lives again. He helped people who had Nowhere else to go and no hope unless he helped them. And they could do those things too, but unless Jesus really helped them to grow up and be the right people for the job, a lot of terrible things could have happened. When you have gifts like that to work miracles, but you aren't ready to use them the way God wants, it's easy to just want to do those things for rich people and to charge them money for it. It's even easier to start acting like you're doing the miracles and not that God is doing them through you. They could have become very rich and powerful if Jesus hadn't waited until they were ready. I mean, don't get me wrong, they still messed up sometimes, but they became the kind of people who knew how to listen so that God could set them back on the right track. Peter and all the others for about 10 years were only teaching the Jews about Jesus. And all of the believers in Jesus were Jews, even though Jesus had told them to take his message to the ends of the earth. They probably thought that meant to only preach about the kingdom of heaven to all the Jews in the world. But that wasn't good enough, and Jesus had to show Peter in a vision that he wanted everyone in the world to know about him. Because Peter trusted Jesus, he gave that message to everyone else, and soon there were Gentiles hearing all about Jesus, all over Africa, the Roman Empire, and Asia. But the early followers of Jesus never became rich or powerful. I'm going to teach you a special prayer. I will have a special file on my Context for Kids website for you to print out. I began praying this almost 20 years ago after a church really hurt me very badly. And I decided that I never wanted to hurt anyone the way I was hurting. 
This prayer doesn't mean that I haven't hurt people, but it does mean that God was able to take my prayer and begin to change me into a different kind of person. You want to pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I don't understand how the people in charge of churches can sometimes be so hurtful when you tell us to be so loving. I know I'm not perfect either, and I bet I could do the same kinds of things unless you change me. Lord, I don't want to have any ministry gifts, and I don't want to be any kind of minister until you teach me to love people the way you love them. I don't want to hurt anyone the way I'm hurting right now. I would rather never tell anyone about you at all than to make people not want to know you because of anything I did. Lord, please, I am willing to have you change me however you need, and no matter what you have to do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And you know what? It worked. And it's still working. He still changes me. I love you. I'm praying for you. And I pray that you learn to love the people the way you want to be loved and the way you want the people you love to be loved.